This is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to This Week in Bitcoin. Strong hand. Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin. Value your wealth in Bitcoin. One Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. Offended by selling. Conviction. Deferral of gratification. We're going to talk about that. Holder of last resort. Oh, yeah. Hello, my elite friends. We've got the best guests in the space on the This Week in Bitcoin show. And this week, we've got a holder of last resort in the house. Blockstream Director of Marketing, Neil Woodfine, is here. What's up, Neil? Welcome to the show, man. Hi, Adam. Uh, doing good, thanks. And uh, thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to have a real live Blockstream person here. Uh, there's a lot of FUD out there around the company that you work for. I mean, tell us a little bit about it. It's, it's not some FBI agent, CIA, NSA thing from what I can tell here. I mean, I've got a real employee here. He's, he's not conspiratorial or trying to take over the world, people. Tell us what Blockstream is all about. Uh, to be honest, I'm kind of surprised you haven't had a few of the other Blockstream guys on before um, because they, they tend to be quite prominent people in the space. Um, but yeah, I, it, it's something that we kind of face on a daily basis. It's kind of always bubbling along, particularly on forums like Reddit. Um, there's quite a few people on Twitter too. Um, I mean, I could put it down to two things. Uh, one is that um, a lot of people at Blockstream um, are Bitcoin orgies and they were very disparaging towards um, the, the, the big blockers and the Bitcoin cash guys and then subsequently the Bitcoin SV guys. And I think that created um, a lot of bad blood. And then later, um, both of those projects failed quite miserably and continue to fail. Um, and I think the, quite a few people working at Blockstream have not been shy about kind of rubbing that in on social media. And so I, I think it kind of encourages people to find whatever ammunition they can online to kind of try and potentially damage our business, at least in their minds. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on. I gotta tell you, that was an incredibly honest take on the whole situation. That was really good. Pound that like button, everyone. Yeah, I mean, sometimes people say things, they get people angry, and then those angry people, they come back with wild ideas. But you, you didn't, that was cool. You said even your side of it, you know, is not perfect. It's not perfect. Now, were you a Bitcoin? I don't want to call you a Bitcoin maximalist, but were you a huge Bitcoin fan before you started working at Blockstream or, or did that shape your mind at all? So I've been working at uh, Blockstream um, for a year now. Um, but uh, yeah, I've been, I've been in Bitcoin since 2014. I started messing around with Bitcoin in 2013. So like, um, in the beginning, I messed around with a few altcoins, I'll be absolutely honest. Um, but it didn't take that long for me to uh, realize that Bitcoin was the only um, serious game in town. So, um, yeah, uh, by the time I joined Blockstream, I was already um, a devout maximalist. Um, being at Blockstream, um, pretty much the same. Uh, and I, I want to say, Samson has been on the show before, but I didn't, I didn't, okay, it good. was, it was so long ago now, we didn't get into the FUD aspects. It was more of, he was covering topics, whatever the main topics of that week in Bitcoin uh, was at, at that time. So um, how does a person, uh, before Block, I mean, why did you choose to go in this direction to work in the field? And is it, You've got a marketing background, I, I assume, and I think this space needs so many more marketing people. Uh, what, what advice would you give people if they, if they want to get a job in this space? Um, so answering the first question, why, why I joined. Um, yeah. uh, so like, I, I started in the industry in 2014 because I'd become so obsessed with Bitcoin. I was absolutely certain that this was going to become um, a really important technology, a really important revolution. And that like, for example, the existing, this is, this is my thought process at the time. Um, the existing financial system um, has a lot of very wealthy people that are very successful. Um, and that this seems to be the new financial system of the future. So this is like a good career move for me. But I think after being in the industry for, for a few years, uh, like there's still an element 
element of that, for sure. But also you become a bit more ideological in your involvement with Bitcoin and you realize that it's actually an important project to succeed more broadly for society. And um, uh, I think uh, there's, there's a bit of that going on too. Um, and advice for people getting in the industry, like I think what you said is spot on. Right now, there's a lot of um, very technical people, a lot of geeky people, and they're the kind of people that Bitcoin appeals to. Um, and I think there's a lot of room, a lot of space for um, uh, people that are good at marketing, um, people that are good at business development, and they're very hard to find in general. So for example, we're looking for um, a content person to help us produce some uh, guides at the moment. And it's really difficult finding somebody that like, kind of has that, like, um, that kind of, uh, those human skills to be able to write really nice, engaging, consumer-friendly content, but then also like, understands this quite like, deep, hard tech, which is still at the moment quite difficult to use. Um, yeah, so I'd, I'd say there's lots of um, space for um, people with those kind of skills and they should get involved if they, if they have them. By the way, everyone, Neil is linked to below. Everything we talk about in this video is basically linked to below. Check out the links section. Follow me on Twitter at TechBalt, T-E-C-H-B-A-L-T. Now, uh, you said there's some ideological beliefs in here. People really strongly believe in this. I think you mentioned, I know in one of your tweets, you mentioned the institutions. Um, institutions, uh, they're, they're all about the money. Uh, does Bitcoin need the institutions to uh, come into the space? Or I, I, and you've tweeted about this, so that's why I'm, I'm asking around this question here. Uh, what's your take on institutions coming into the space? Should we be waiting for them breathlessly to save the world, to pump the price? Or are they not necessary? So I, I think um, there's kind of a common meme going around at the moment where people are saying things like, okay, so the next stage of Bitcoin's development requires the institutions to come in. That's how we get like Bitcoin's price to the next level, Bitcoin adoption to the next level. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the case. Uh, the tweet storm that you referenced uh, came from a conversation I was having with a, a good Bitcoin friend. I was very surprised, suggested that we'd see, seen the end of the, the, the days of these gigantic Bitcoin bull runs um, because now Bitcoin is a much more institutional game. There's a lot more kind of um, uh, corporate investors and they'll smooth the price out somehow. Um, and we'll not, uh, we'll not see these, these kind of big bull runs anymore. And one of the reasons he was seeing that happens was because uh, uh, they take profit earlier. And I think that's a perfect example of why, that's, why institutions will not drive this market and won't drive it for, for a long time to come because uh, I mean, the way institutions work is that they have shareholders and they're responsible to their shareholders. Um, and the shareholders tend to be pretty risk averse and have very different goals. They do look for short-term profits. And um, what, what that results in is these institutions, they may purchase Bitcoin, but when they've made like any kind of decent amount of profit, then they're going to sell their Bitcoin. Now, if they're selling their Bitcoin, they will perpetually be in that very kind of large group of people that are fighting over the, the, the Bitcoin that are left. And the Bitcoin that are left, this, 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 this amount, is decreasing all of the time. Because what we have on the other side of the equation is people like you and me um, and kind of the, 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 uh, the broader market of these kind of individual sovereign investors um, who are just buying up the Bitcoin and sitting on it. They're, they're, like, they're not selling for anything. And uh, I, I would kind of call them Morpheus hodlers after that famous Bitcoin meme where uh, Morpheus is like, you're not going to need to sell these when, when Bitcoin succeeds. What, what these individual investors are waiting for is the death of fiat and like um, Bitcoin to replace their, their dollar or their, their pound or their euro. Um, and the institutions aren't doing that. They're just looking for uh, making some kind of Shorter. I'm generalizing, of course. I'm sure there's a few, for example, family officers that are probably thinking in kind of more generational terms. But in general, um, most of the institutions are not. They're in it for a, they're in it for a fast book, and that has a massive downside um, as well because it means when the price is doing crazy things like going down very quickly, they're also some of the first people to sell because, again, they have responsibility to their shareholders who are more risk averse. And even if they're not more risk averse, the, the, the people managing these funds will feel like they potentially are 
And so they're going to be some of the first people to start panic selling. And that's in direct contrast to the um, hodlers of last resort who are just going to, they, they've got a much higher risk tolerance. You and I like we've probably spent a few years training our um, hodl skills and uh, are much more willing to, to, to wait it out and, um, and keep on reducing that supply. Yeah, we, we've got this like, strong in, in, hands, baby, strong hands. I'm oh, sorry, continue. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And like in addition to this, like kind of compounding this problem is that institutions um, largely, uh, uh, they like custodians. They, they think custodians are okay. Um, and we know in Bitcoin that like for individuals, custodians are definitely not a good move. Uh, whether you're using an exchange or a custodial wallet or something like that, like it, at some point, that centralization of risk is going to go going to go wrong. You're going to have an inside job, or um, somebody's going to go and um, uh, hack or socially engineer um, the, the the bitcoins that exist there. And then even if none of that happens, if like the financial system starts to be threatened and like we get into a kind of like an end game scenario, who knows what like kind of um, uh, like authorities will do with all of the bitcoins sitting in these very kind of cozy honeypots at the custodians. Um, and like the, just because you're you're an institution doesn't mean you're not under threat of those kind of risks. Um, so yeah, I, I think like they also have that to contend with. It's kind of a hidden risk that they, they they're not factoring into their their models. Wow, I I like your take on a custodial. Uh... Uh, the custodians here, uh, we're, we're on the same same page there, definitely. Control your own private key. But so many people getting into the space are impulsive and they want the quick buck. They want to leave it wherever and they think they're used to the traditional ways. The, the traditional system was someone else took care of your wealth for you. So there are going to be so many people opting into that. But you, you've, di- you've def- definitely identified many impulsive aspects aspects of this space. And that will lead to the uh, lots of volatility here. And I do want to read your tweet out that we're referencing, or one of them. There are experienced Bitcoiners that still think that the era of insane Bitcoin bull runs are behind us and that price will just increase steadily because the market is more mature or something. Boy, boy are they in for a surprise. Uh, yeah, and I, I agree with that. We are is going to be a roller coaster and people... He just said it, have a strong hand, get ready for the roller coaster for, for the various reasons that we, we just talked about. Now, you, you came up with an interesting term, sovereign retail investor. A sovereign retail investor. Uh, get, get, dig a little deeper, explain that to us a little bit, what you meant by that. Um, I'm just thinking of the, uh, the term sovereign individuals, which is uh, popularized by that book. Um, uh, mixing it with retail investors. So right now, Bitcoin is entirely driven by retail investors, um, uh, individuals purchasing Bitcoin for their, their own personal savings. Um, and they, 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 it, they're either kind of very sovereign-minded when they purchase the Bitcoin initially, or they're buying it for the, 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 the go to the moon, get rich quick. And then slowly, if they manage to hold the Bitcoins, will kind of have their um, their ideology converted, changed, and they'll become more sovereign just through the act of holding Bitcoin. So I definitely fell into the, the latter category. I bought my first bit Bitcoin because I saw the price going up. Um, and I was very kind of normie NPC um, uh, when I first got into Bitcoin. And it wasn't until... I kind of enjoyed the, because the, I bought in 2013, so I enjoyed that first bull run very early, right? And I got me extremely excited about Bitcoin. So I was like, why is this happening? Like, what is this thing? Um, and that kind of sent me on like what people call the rabbit hole, um, which is like not just about kind of Bitcoin's technology, but it, it necessarily involves a lot of economics and politics. And, and the journey's still going, like I'm, I'm still learning things on a, on a daily basis, so. Um, yeah, I think that's that essentially that's what a, a sovereign um, retail investor is. It's, it's just the guys on the street, regular people um, buying Bitcoin for themselves and then hodling it until 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 the end game. Yeah, I just question how independent some of these guys are. How independent-minded a lot of a lot of the people are who just buy it and then panic and flip. 
Uh, maybe I'm making too many generalizations about that type of, maybe they are independent and they just, they just don't have strong hands. Uh, I, yeah, no, I think that's, that's, that's fair enough. I think the, um, the majority of Bitcoin holders are probably fall into that category. Um, I think a lot of people are just um, looking forward to getting rich quick, but that there's kind of a conversion process going on there and the, the ranks of these sovereign retail investors is definitely growing. Um, and like I say, just through, just through holding Bitcoin and kind of learning a bit more about it, people become more um, uh, sympathetic to that, to that worldview. Um, so like, yeah, and they're the people that are wrapping up the Bitcoin. Like they're the people that are kind of taking Bitcoin out of the supply and everybody else, like the institutions and the, the, the impulsive people that you mentioned are buying and selling and the kind of the pool that they're interacting with, the pool of Bitcoins that they're interacting with is decreasing like on a daily basis. Now, I've got another quote of yours here. Bitcoin, if it works, is the trigger for the next major enlightenment. It forces normal people to think in ways they never had to before. Now, I, I do agree with that. It, it does force certain normal people to think in ways they never had to before. But I don't think most people are ready to get that deep down in their thinking process. And for that reason, I, there are a lot of people out there that believe in hyper-Bitcoinization, that one day Bitcoin will be the, the money of the world. I, I don't believe it will be. I, I, I believe it'll just be the, the, the store of value, the, the money of the world for just people who are willing to think. What's your, again, so a major enlightenment amongst people who are able to be enlightened. So do, do you believe in hyper-Bitcoinization? What's your take? Uh, yeah, I think I believe in hyper-Bitcoinization. Um, I think the, there's, there's two um, uh, kind of processes at work. One is the kind of inevitable collapse of the contemporary financial system, which we know to be extremely flawed and full of risk um, and getting worse uh, every year. Um, so that's going on and that will lead to an inevitable requirement for some um, replacements. Um, and then at the same time, we've got kind of the development of Bitcoin. The longer it survives, the more confident we can be that it, um, it will continue to survive. Um, and also the technology is improving, bugs are getting found and, and repaired. Um, I think um, as well, people are learning that kind of like sound money is, and Austrian economics are becoming more and more popularized. And I can't see the, that trend reversing or kind of plateauing um, anytime soon. So um, I think it would be very difficult for um, a replacement fiat to compete with Bitcoin um, when things start to go wrong because people will be very distrustful of the, the old models and they'll have this new model which will be extremely successful by that point to, to move over to. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I buy into the hyper-Bitcoinization um, idea. I don't think, I mean, it's, it's difficult for anybody to predict these kind of things, right? We're all just uh, using conjecture. So uh, um, it's also um, um, believable to me that it would just be um, uh, the domain of uh, uh, individuals that are kind of sovereign-minded, freedom-minded, and um, want to avoid... Uh, the, the the kind of existing kind of um, authoritative systems that 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 are the the alternative, um, but I, I think hyper Bitcoinization is is pretty likely. Well, the future it, we we shall see. I am excited for the future. The new systems, people opting out of the old system, all sorts of innovations. Now, speaking speaking of innovations, and I'm going to go back to the block stream. A lot of times people, and you get asked this question, we all get asked these questions. What if the internet goes down? Bitcoin is worthless. But wait a second, Blockstream is working, the Blockstream satellite. Tell us about what happens if the internet goes down. Tell us about this Blockstream satellite. Yeah, so I, I think it's a common no-coiner argument that you hear that um, uh, if Bitcoin succeeds, then the governments will just switch off the internet and they're like, ha, we've got you. But uh, unfortunately, like there's already been a lot of people thinking about this problem. Um, Blockstream, uh, the, the the team at Blockstream being one of one of those groups, um, and there's already solutions um, out there that could 
allow Bitcoin to continue to operate in um, internetless uh, environments. Um, so uh, yeah, Blockstream Satellite essentially is a, um, a satellite network. Uh, so four satellites that are um, orbiting the planet um, yeah, on a, um, uh, uh, I can't remember the, the word for it. Anyway, they're, they're, they're operating the planet um, at the same speed as the, the, the Earth spins. So they're always in the same place. Geo, geosynchronous. They receive geosynchronous. That's the word. Sorry. Yeah. Um, um, and they're receiving um, block, uh, block Bitcoin blockchain data from teleports based around the planet. And they beam this uh, Bitcoin blockchain data down across pretty much all of the populated areas in the world. So you've got a small area of um, Eastern Europe and the Middle East, which is not getting caught by those signals. But everywhere else, basically anywhere there's a population of people, they're receiving the, the Bitcoin blockchain. Now, to receive those signals, um, all you need is um, some really standard equipment, which can be bought for probably under like $100, $120. Um, you need a, a satellite dish, which is exactly the same as you use for receiving TV signals. You need a computer. Um, the computer requirements are very low. You could use a Raspberry Pi or a Rock 64. Um, and then also um, something called a, a, an SDR, which is a little bit of hardware USB stick, which you put into your um, computer and it decodes the, the signals coming from, uh, coming from the satellite. And what that allows you to do is operate a full node um, anywhere on the planet um, without the internet. Now, like that kind of solves only one part of using the using Bitcoin equation. So you've got a full node now, you can um, uh, uh, verify any incoming transactions and you can, you can know for certain that you've received a transaction. Um, however, what you can't do is send a transaction out um, because you need to get that transaction to the miners so that they can add it to the blockchain. Um, and so Blockstream Satellite is intended to be combined with multiple other technologies. Um, so you can use things like mesh networks. Um, there's an integration already with Gortenna, which allows you to um, basically um, send like uh, Bitcoin transaction data from your um, node to another person with a Gortenna to another person with a Gortenna. You can do a maximum of three hops. Um, and then the person at the end, um, they have a few options. They can, um, if, they have, if, they've, if they've got an internet connection, they can send that to the internet and then it can get mined onto the blockchain or you, they could use SMS to send it to another internet relay to get it onto the internet. Um, technically, you could actually like send it directly to a miner and then they could like add it to the um, blockchain themselves, but like that wouldn't be particularly scalable. So uh, one thing to bear in mind is that these um, internet-free solutions are kind of uh, meant, uh, intended to be used in a localized manner. They're kind of internet minimized because at some point, you really need somebody connected to the internet to get that transaction data to to um, a miner, which is online. Um, but yeah, the, the satellite is, is extremely important for these um, low internet or no internet environments because um, the Bitcoin blockchain requires a lot of bandwidth, like serious a lot of bandwidth. And these mesh network solutions, they have very low bandwidth um, um, support. So... Um, the satellite uh, signal is received passively. It can um, download a lot of data. I think the the full twenty four last twenty four hours of blocks are um, uh, broadcast on a um, a broadcast four times a day. So that's kind of like the, the bandwidth that you can achieve with these things. Actually, you can achieve more. Um, we're just um, that's kind of the package that we got with the satellite network. So um, uh, yeah, uh, that's that's essentially how it worked. Quite, quite an innovation over there coming from the block screen people, uh, contributing so much to this space, people. Much respect to them. <laughs> no, no more fighting them, people, come on. So when we're talking about uh, innovations uh, that Blockstream's working on, how about the liquid network? What, what's this all about, this liquid network? I, I've had, I forgot who, ex someone tried to explain it on here before, but let, let's get it straight from the horse's mouth, the liquid network. Right, so I, I spend most of my time on liquid, so I can talk to this um, quite well. Um, uh, so I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what liquid is. Uh, it's probably our most, uh, it's something that we need to improve our communications on for sure. Um, basically, it's a Bitcoin sidechain intended specifically for exchanges 
and traders. Um, it's meant for um, uh, trading applications. Um, and what, what we mean by a sidechain, essentially um, it's, it's another blockchain, um, but instead of having miners, they're replaced by something called a, a federation. And that federation, um, it's uh, 15 exchanges. They each have um, hardware, a piece of hardware called an HSM. And these HSMs in a round robin style are signing the blocks in the network. And they are essentially operating, operating this, this uh, sidechain. Um, and it's a slightly more centralized model, um, which like, like we're very transparent and open about. Um, but that brings a lot of advantages because it allows more efficient, um, one more efficient transactions, so you can make transactions more uh, faster. Um, but also, um, it allows us to um, deploy new technologies on um, on Bitcoin that perhaps would take like decades to get onto the um, the main protocol. So, for instance, um, Liquid has confidential transactions, uh, which is a technology also developed at Blockstream, which is a really cool privacy tech which allows all of the users of the blockchain to transact with each other while hiding um, the type of asset that they're transacting with and also the amount of the transaction, uh, uh, the amount of the asset that they're tra uh, transacting with. So all you can see is funds have moved from this address to that address, um, but you don't know how much or what, what has gone there. And the, the, the sidechain still retains all of the verifiability so you know that there's no kind of inflation going on there. And so the cool thing about a sidechain is what it allows you to do is move your Bitcoin from the main chain to the side chain in a verifiable manner. So you basically lock up a Bitcoin on the, on the main chain and then um, it's uh, released on the side chain. And this process is called a, a peg-in. And once this Bitcoin is on the side chain, it can move around um, uh, very, very quickly using all of the confidential transaction technology. We'll soon be introducing um, simplicity to Liquid as well which is um, uh, kind of a, a blockchain um, programming language. Um, so it allows you to do some really, really like kind of expressive stuff with smart contracts. So you've got this Bitcoin flying around and then um, at any point you can choose to peg that Bitcoin out and it releases um, the Bitcoin on the, on the main chain. And anybody can run um, a, a full node on, on, um, uh, on Liquid, on the Liquid sidechain. So you can't mine any blocks, but you can verify that like all, everything is working as it's intended to be working. So you can verify, for instance, that every single Bitcoin on the Liquid network is backed up one-to-one -one with a Bitcoin on the Bitcoin network. So you know there's no inflation and you know that your, your Liquid Bitcoins can be pegged out to, um, to Bitcoin. And then in addition to this cool um, interaction with Bitcoin, um, what you can also do on, on Liquid is issue your own assets. So you can create new tokens for anything that you want. Um, and they, they're, they're native to the Liquid network. Um, they're kind of different in nature to the Bitcoin on the Liquid network because you're completely dependent on the issuer of each of these assets. So it's not um, trustless. Uh, it's not really trust minimized. It's, um, you're, you're completely dependent on whoever's issued that asset. But what it, it does allow you to do is do really cool things like um, atomic swaps between Bitcoin and those assets. Um, uh, and you can still use all of the, the same kind of technologies that we use on Bitcoin, like multi-sig, um, time locks, that kind of thing. And like, I think a lot of people are worried that Liquid will get used for shitcoining, um, including myself. Um, I think it probably will happen. Um, and there's nothing we can do about that. It's an open network. Anybody can issue an asset as long as they've got a Liquid full node. Um, but like, I think it could be used for more kind of... Um, uh, less ethically challenged projects that are used in the trading industry, such as um, stable coins and um, security tokens as well, which a lot of people, they haven't really taken off yet, but a lot of people are talking about kind of um, being a new kind of thing. And security tokens and stable coins are, are not like, I mean, I'm sure there will be a few scams on, built on those as well, but um, they're not um, necessarily that scammy, right? They, they're just based on existing real world assets and we've just kind of tokenized them to uh, transfer around on, on the network. Well, this seems very, very interesting. How many people are actually using it now? And uh, what are your projections of when it's going to really be used, the Liquid Network? 
Um, so uh, we have a small number of uh, a low level of activity on the liquid network right now. Um, uh, it's definitely not um, taking off in any big way yet. I think one thing that has to happen before that that can happen is we need more exchange integrations to go live. So um, at the moment, the, the, the main exchanges that are, are available are uh, Bitfinex, um, The Rock Trading, um, Sideshift, um, and uh, Coinut as well. We just uh, added Coinut recently. Um, and really what this technology is good for is, for example, if you're an arbitrage trader, you want to be moving funds around exchanges faster than your competition so that you can take advantage of um, trading differentials, uh, trading opportunities uh, faster than the, the other traders. Um, and for them to be able to do that, they're going to need more exchanges that have that liquid Bitcoin in, liquid Bitcoin out. Um, and as well as like things like we have like Tether on the liquid network as well. Um, people need those, those integrations to go live. So um, we have a bit of a chicken and an egg problem there, um, I'll be honest. But we do have a number of exchanges that are working on integrations right now. And I think once they start to go live, uh, we'll have more traders um, experimenting with Liquid and, and, and driving a bit more activity. As well, one thing that like um, I've started saying, I got this from um, Samson recently, is uh, Liquid is kind of a bit of a, um, an insurance policy for the, the, the trading industry for the next big bull run. So like I say, I'm, I don't think we've seen the end of bull runs for a long time yet. Um, and when, when the next one comes, a lot of people are saying it's going to be coming after the, the next halvening. Um, the, the, the Bitcoin network is going to get clogged up. Um, people have like Tether on like Ethereum and Omni and stuff like this. Like these, these networks are, are going to get clogged up. It's going to be very difficult for people to um, move their, their funds around all of the different exchanges for uh, trading applications. Um, and Liquid would allow people to continue moving the, it would allow the spice to flow. Um, it would allow people to continue moving their funds around the exchanges, allow people to still continue buying and selling um, in that like high pressure uh, environment. And like these things can go on for like two, three months, right? Um, I, I remember making a few transactions myself for like thirty dollars, forty dollars um, back in the last bull run. So this is kind of a, an alternative to that. Mm, wow, this will. Uh... This will uh, lower, perhaps uh, keep the people out that were saying, oh, everything's so slow. I can't move it. It's too expensive. This might help. Huh. And good point. Yeah. And I, I, one thing I, I wanted to say at first, when you were describing this liquid network, I was, I thought, is this going to hurt stable coins? Is this going to help hurt Tether? But in fact, it's going to help them. It, it appears to me. Am, am I uh, misunderstanding this? It, um, it, I mean, it's it's the obvious platform for the um, stable coins to to issue on. Like, um, uh, they don't need all of the like hardcore decentralization that comes with um, Bitcoin. Um, uh, they don't need that. Uh, they need they need more efficiency, and and Liquid um, um, provides that with still like some very very strong security benefits. Um, and in addition to that, like, so right now, like if you're a whale or an institution, you're making a large transaction, you're announcing it on a public network every time you make a trade. And so people can front run those, like you have people monitoring the blockchain, like trading on, on, on the information that they get from that. Um, with Liquid, nobody knows that stuff is going on. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really, and as well, like um, you get all of the, um, I'm kind of making, doing a bit of an advert here, I hope you don't mind. That's um, fine, yeah. The, the, uh, the, the, another advantage is that like, um, Liquid is based on elements and elements is based on Bitcoin. Um, and so you're getting really, really strong um, multi-sig, strong time locks, like kind of technology that people are very confident works and like won't break. For example, like an Ethereum smart contract, um, these things do what they're supposed to do. Uh, so you can do like a lot of interesting applications on, on top of that as well. Um, the atomic swaps being a good example. Uh, one, one thing that you, that you brought up that's very interesting is that some of the larger whales uh, that are making a lot of trades, it'll somewhat privatize. Uh, uh, people won't be able to see exactly what they're doing. Are you, on that subject matter, are there any uh, second layer privacy solutions that people are working on over there at Blockstream now that you can talk about? Um, the research team will definitely have at least one or two things going on with that. Um, I can't. I can't speak to them. You'll have to get uh, Andrew Puelstra on the show. 
he can he can give you a rundown on some uh, interesting privacy tech that will be. Uh, are you are you personally are concerned also- about privacy and stuff? I mean, in term, do you think Bitcoin needs to become more private uh, right now? Is it is it a, a lot of people are talking? We need a second layer solution right now for privacy. Um, yes, <laughs> definitely concerned about Bitcoin's privacy. Um, it needs to it needs to be improved. I, I think um, uh, Matt O'Dell, for, for instance, recently was saying that um, it's possible. So, like with existing technologies, Coinjoins, um, uh, uh, Wasabi, um, Samurai, it's possible to um, transact with Bitcoin pr- privately already, but it requires a lot of work and a lot of learning. And so with these kind of these solutions, these ideas need to start getting integrated for um, the average user to to, to take advantage of them. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I, as well, there'll be more kind of demand, which will create more developments on the privacy side. Once we start to see more kind of um, downsides of people not using Bitcoin in a private way. So like people getting attacked mugged, kidnapped, um, uh, things like that, or some kind of state interventions um, like IRS um, checking people based on blockchain data. Um, I think once those kind of things start happening, like all of a sudden there'll be some um, really fast developments around um, uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin privacy. Yes, the pressure will be on to, to figure out the situation once it gets really bad. Uh, hey, was there something else you were going to say there? I kind of interrupted you before. I didn't mean to break your chain of thought. I don't know if there was something you meant to say. Okay. Um, if you did, I've already forgotten it. So okay, cool, cool. Uh, so I, I've got a question on a, a current event. Um, I, I wanted to hear your take on, uh, on Libra. And uh, do you think that'll get more people into Bitcoin eventually? Uh, do you think Libra is actually going to happen? Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> I wrote a few tweets on this as well. Like, um, I, re- I wrote Libra off um, pretty much immediately after hearing it was um, getting launched. Um, I haven't dove particularly deeply into how it works. Somebody was telling me the other day that the technology is cool. Um, I'm not particularly interested in the technology. I'm more interested in like the application, what what it's doing. And I, I think it's totally unrelated to Bitcoin. There's no way in hell that any kind of authorities are going to allow Facebook to do um, anything that skirts regulations. Um, it'll be a pure fintech product. Um, it'll be part of the system if it ever gets launched. Um, it'll it'll not have anything to do with Bitcoin. It'll not be useful for people trading Bitcoin um, uh, because of all the controls that will surround it. Um, Perhaps, like for the average person, it'll kind of be like it'll get them used to the idea of like a digital currency. But to be honest, I think people are already there when it comes to digital currencies. For example, like I used to live in China and everybody's using WeChat and Alipay. That's just basically digital currency and a mobile wallet. Um, I use Revolut, it's like a great service, to be honest. I mean, like as far as fintech goes. Um, Again, that kind of like comes across as digital currency. So, like, I, yeah, I can't see people um, uh, uh, getting into it that much. As well, like, one of the massive attractions of Bitcoin that we can't get away from is like number goes up. Like, people are in it for the pump, um, and as much as we try to like say like people are in it for the technology and the freedom and stuff, like a very large part of this movement is the um, the potential for people to get rich. Um, from holding it like that's not happening with Libra like there's no price appreciation opportunities there um, people are only going to be buying it so that they can use it at certain um, uh, merchants and stores and like is there going to be that much demand for people to spend at certain stores with a certain currency like uh, all very questionable to me I, I you had a tweet about that that yeah that's uh, that's part of the interest that the, the when the fiat price goes up hey man you're not Hey, I believe in one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin, but not everyone, not everyone can be like that. People are used to uh, uh, the way things have worked yeah. for a while and they, they want to they make a quick buck, a long buck, who knows what they want to do. But yeah, good point. With, uh, with Libra, you're not exactly going to be able to speculate on it from at least the way it's been uh, defined to me. It's, it's, it's not going to go up. And, yeah. Supposedly- I mean, like on, on this top, on this topic, like you asked me earlier, one of the reasons why I joined Blockstream. Um, so I, uh, um, I worked at OKCoin, 
um, in 2014. After that, I, I left and started a startup called Remitzi with um, Richard Bensberg, who's also now um, working at Blockstream. Uh, and then we, um, uh, we got acquired by um, Wire. So Remitzi and Wire were cross-border payment uh, companies that use Bitcoin in the middle to convert like um, the, the source currency to the destination currency. And they were used for business payments. But having worked at OKCoin, Remitzi and Wire, you, um, you're interacting with fiat. And as soon as you touch fiat as any kind of business, you get caught in this kind of regulatory web. And it's particularly difficult when you're working in the cryptocurrency space because pretty much everybody's business is global. You need to be able to um, service global demand. Um, and that means you're not only interacting with the regulations at home, you're also interacting with the regulations in, in various different other countries. And these can sometimes kind of conflict with each other and it, it becomes an absolute nightmare. Um, and I found um, like over time, I was getting increasingly frustrated with the fact that I was spending like over half of my day dealing with regulatory issues. And I was working in things like business development and marketing. I, uh, that shouldn't have been factoring into kind of my day. Like that should be a compliance department thing. But like everybody is, is, is affected by it at every level of the company. And it, make, it leads to you making all sorts of stupid decisions, business decisions that you wouldn't have made otherwise. Um, and just gets you down. And like um, at the moment, for example, payments, which is the industry that uh, Remitzi and Y were working in, they're in the contemporary um, fintech arena. These are regulatory games. They're regulatory industries, not technology industries. So everybody is just kind of um, um, regulatory arbitrage or automating certain regulatory processes. And that's what like builds these like great fintech products like Revolut, for instance. But um, if we move to a new Bitcoin financial system, that returns everything to a question of technology, like regulation will factor in not at all or very, very little. And so all of these kind of skills and this knowledge and this experience that you build up, which is like kind of pretty much the majority of your day in like um, uh, navigating regulation becomes completely useless in this kind of Bitcoin future. So if, you're, if you really strongly believe in kind of hyper Bitcoinization, it means that like, by joining these kind of fiat interaction businesses, you're going to um, um, be wasting a lot of your time um, and, and developing skills that are, are going to be a dead end in the future. So like, that was one of the big drivers for me joining Blockstream. They, they are like um, pure technology company. Um, they, they provide um, technology to companies that are regulated. So like, it's, still, it's still there and it's almost impossible to escape given how easy it is to regulate businesses right now. But um, it's certainly minimized. Um, I can't remember what uh, started uh, this, but essentially that that's, um, oh yeah, sorry, the Libra thing. Um, Libra will be in that category. They're going to be wholly regulated. And so they're going to spend most of their time kind of like um, bending to the whims of various officials in various countries um, to make things work. They'll only be able to roll out one country at a time. Um, they're not going to be able to service the whole world at the same time. Um, the, the Bitcoin future is not like that. Like in the future, like Bitcoin services will be based in Bitcoin friendly jurisdictions and they'll be able to service the entire world and they're not going to have to worry about all of these um, various different regulations. Excellent points. Pound that like button, people. I've got a question about the, uh, the current situation in Bitcoin, uh, which takes some people are used to making investments in the traditional, uh, uh, the traditional system and, and getting interest uh, or it's doing loans with their, their fiat, relying on third parties. What do, you, uh, what do you think of the trend in the Bitcoin space of people trying to do similar things? Uh, people loaning out their Bitcoin uh, and, and getting interest on their Bitcoin. Uh, what's, what's your take on that right now? Given, so, uh, the, given, I mean, like, cur given current technology. Yeah, I, I think... Uh, <laughs> The, 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 the rate at which Bitcoin's price has historically increased and the rate of kind of adoption and developments in Bitcoin suggests that that will probably continue, or at least I, I would expect it to continue. I see no reason to kind of maximize that further by lending out Bitcoin uh, for, um, uh, for, for interest. Um, in particular, I think some of the... Um, uh, interest-bearing options at the moment. I'm not going to name any names. Uh, like I've seen kind of rumors flying around Twitter of like kind of how questionable their practices are. 
um, whether they get like, so if these coins are being lent out, they're probably being used to short um, cryptocurrencies. And like, if we enter a bull market, like how sustainable is that going to be? Um, yeah, so I, yeah, two, two things. One, like there's, it's gotta be high risk. Um, and two, I just see no need to do that given how, how successful Bitcoin has been up to this point. Um, so I wouldn't, personally, I wouldn't touch them on the 10 foot barge ball. But then at the same time, like um, risk, uh, risk can bear rewards. So like if people are willing to engage with that and know what they're doing, then um, like uh, fair play to them, I hope it, hope it works out. I know like I definitely have friends that have engaged in lending on exchanges. So some of the exchanges um, provide P2P lending options and they've done very well out of it and hasn't collapsed on them uh, it, it was sustainable for a few years at least so uh, maybe it'll work out all right yeah i wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole either now i like how you said that I, i've actually said the same line before now uh <laughs> bitcoin just the 18 millionth bitcoin was just a mind yay but at the same time we have some concern trolling out there i would say uh from people uh, wondering about the well could we expand the uh the, the amount of Bitcoin in the future is, is 21 million really a hard limit. You and I both lived through the uh, block size debate. I am pretty confident that the next big prominent uh, debate that will try to split Bitcoin and will end up in a fork uh, will be uh, will be this the uh, the limit the limit. Uh, what's your take on uh, on that? Do you, do you foresee this? ending in a very similar uh, Bcash type situation? Um, so, yes. Um, I, I think uh, not from the current cohort of people that are pushing for it. I don't think they have nearly as much support as they potentially think they have at the moment. Um, however, it's the obvious attack vector that Bitcoin will probably um, face for the rest of its existence. So like, Let's say this is a thousand, two thousand year old technology. Like we're going to see multiple efforts to introduce um, inflation in Bitcoin because it's the easiest way to kill it. Um, and I, I have very little patience for the current crop of people that are kind of promoting very hard and repeatedly for um, inflation on Bitcoin. Um, I think they have their own biases that they are not willing to admit to. There is a reason why they keep on coming back to this topic when it's not a pressing issue. The security on Bitcoin is not under question at the moment. Um, there's a reason why they keep on coming back to it. And like, um, I find that the people that are promoting um, um, inflation in Bitcoin and kind of concern trolling about um, the security model are often the kind of people that um, perhaps have been in Bitcoin for a long time and are not completely bought into the um, kind of cypherpunk, um, libertarian, um, Austrian economic, uh, 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 anarchic uh, uh, worldview that like a lot of other Bitcoiners have like either bought into when they got into Bitcoin or, or, or kind of came around to after being in Bitcoin for a while. They tend to be the people that have resisted that the most. And I find that very fascinating that like um, inflation is a very kind of statist pastime and then these people seem to have failed to have shed some of those kind of um, um, worldviews after being in Bitcoin for a long time. Like, um, and they keep on pushing, like they repeatedly pushing inflation, finding like, okay, so that angle didn't work. Okay, well, how about this problem? Like maybe we need inflation for that. Um, yeah, so I'm kind of very question. And like when you kind of confront them about it, they're always just kind of just asking questions. I'm just like, if we can't challenge these ideas, like, uh, like we're, we're just living in this dogmatic kind of um, uh, um, uh, industry and um, uh, things will get dangerous because everybody's got this kind of group think. But like they, they're never willing to, like I'm very clear about my views about Bitcoin and I, I'm like, I have biases of my own and I'm very explicit about them. But these people will not kind of commit to any of their, um, uh, any of their ideas. And I find that a little bit duplicitous as well. So... Yeah, well, um, I, I, it's interesting you say you don't think it'll be the, the current crop that will be successful. Yeah, I, I would agree almost that uh, there, there will be a future prominent person 
who is very pro-Bitcoin that will switch to this uh, inflationary Bitcoin. And that, that will trigger, it, it will take a, a change of a prominent person to really spark the next uh, Bcash type of situation. So uh, it's just something for people to yeah. prepare for. Yeah, and we'll have like lots more people entering the industry, lots of charismatic people that like bring lots of like great ideas. Um, uh, yeah, and like we don't know how those people are going to kind of um, change the, 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 the conversation in the future. So I, I think it, it's definitely um, something that's uh, going to happen. Like there's, there's two ways to, to screw around with Bitcoin, right? Change the block size, um, add some inflation. And like those, they're just going to be, it's going to be an endless battle. Like, we're not going to like kind of finalize that. There's not going to be any full stop. Um, it's uh, it's going to continue, and like there are always going to be powers that have something to gain from Bitcoin failing. So uh, yeah, we just got to kind of be vigilant and teach our kids to be vigilant and grand grandkids. And, yeah, it's, it's it a running. hard limit, people. Twenty one million. All right, Neil Woodfine. Uh, we we have reached the end of the show. It has been a pleasure. Do you have any conclusionary remarks, anything you wanted to add, any subject matters that were left off, current events you wanted to bring up, promotions, anything? The floor is yours. I think we've covered everything. Um, uh, it's, uh, that was a really good chat. I think if um, anybody's um, interested in finding more about Liquid, um, definitely check out the, the, the Botstream site. We have quite a lot of new content there these days. Um, and um, yeah, I hope, uh, I hope there's a chance to be on the show again and um, doing a, a great job with, uh, with the show. Well, thank you very much. I do want you to come back on the show. It has been awesome. His Twitter is below. Follow him. Really good tweets out there. Very inspirational tweets. Definitely a holder of last resort. I love having the holders of last resort on here. All right, everybody. I'm Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, Disrupt Meister. Remember to subscribe to the channel, like the video, share this video, pound that like button, Bang that bell button. If this show is airing on Friday, which most of the This Week in Bitcoin shows do, but we might be changing that up. I'd like to wish everyone a Shabbat Shalom. We do the This Week in Bitcoin show every week, usually on Fridays. So tune in here every Friday, every, every day, because you never know what you're going to get here. Saturday is usually the Beyond Bitcoin show. A new show every day. Everybody have a great time. Thank you, Neil, again. See you guys later. Bye-bye.